Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. Psalms are full of a rich variety of different types of songs. So Don Whitney said that God has inspired a psalm for every sigh of the soul. Have you guys experienced that? Every sigh of the soul. If you were to thumb through the, the, uh, the book of Psalms, you could find something for where you're at. Um, John Calvin said, the Psalms are an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. For there is not an emotion here that anyone could be conscious of that is not mirrored or represented in this book. In a, cu- a couple weeks ago, I did Psalm 51. It was a song of sorrow and confession for his sin. It was a song of repentance. And um, we got to enjoy that. We'll enjoy later psalms about depression and anxiety before the summer's end. But this morning, Psalm 68 is a song of celebration. And what's it a song of celebration? Well, most commentators believe that David wrote this, Psalm 68, to commemorate the bringing up of the ark up to Jerusalem finally. The ark had not yet been placed in Jerusalem. And this was to commemorate the ark of the covenant, finally being brought up to Jerusalem and placed in the tabernacle. You guys remember the ark was the physical symbol of God's presence among his people. And um, after they left Egypt and they were freed, Moses brought them to Sinai. They received the law there, the Ten Commandments and all the rest of the laws, and also directions on how to make an ark and a tabernacle. And the ark was a, a box, basically a very ornate box of acacia wood that had gold overlay. It was very fancy, and it would be placed inside the tabernacle, which was a tent. It was basically a portable temple. And so as they were wandering through the wilderness, God's presence was with them through, through the ark. And um, and they brought this ark with them into battle, all the way through the wilderness and into the promised land. They would bring the ark with them into battle. In fact, the first verse in this psalm, God arise, his enemies shall be scattered. Um, That's actually a quote from Numbers 10.35. It says in Numbers 10.35 that Moses, whenever he would pick up the, have the ark lifted and set out, he would say, arise, Lord, let your enemies be scattered. Let those who hate you flee before you. It's what they would say every time they pick up the ark to take it out into battle. They would say, verse 1, it was God's presence. And it was giving God's presence with the ark was given credit for their, their victories in battle. If you look at verse 19, pretty intense verse. He says, blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Our God is a God of salvation. And to God the Lord belongs deliverance from death. But God will strike the heads of the enemies, the hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. The Lord says, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea. I will strike, listen to this, I will strike your feet in their blood, that the tongues of your dogs may have their portion with your foes. And I know a lot of us, 21st century, like, oh, I don't really like all the blood. You know, like we get really funny about this, and some of us get a little bit like, oh, I don't know about this psalm, and, you know, we feel a little funny about it. If you lived in that culture, you wouldn't feel funny about this, right? This, guys, was an ancient, brutal land, and God defended them from the constant threat of their enemies. I mean, you don't live somewhere. You know there are walls around cities and stuff, because you don't live somewhere and, without defending it, or you're gone. That's the kind of land they lived in. And after hundreds of years, actually, of having the promised land, David finally decides, let's bring the ark up to Jerusalem to its rightful place. And so it's like this ascension of the king. It's the bringing up of the ark 
to, to Jerusalem. And the psalm here describes it as a parade, a kind of parade that welcomes a king home from victory in battle. Look at verse 17. The chariots of God are twice 10,000, thousand upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and received gifts among men, even the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Everybody is super excited. Like, finally, the ark's being brought up here. And there's, it's like God coming home in victory to, to his his throne in the tabernacle. Everyone's excited. Look at verse 24. Your procession is seen. This is the parade bringing the ark up. The procession of my God, my king, in, into the sanctuary. Singers in front, musicians last, between the virgins playing tambourine, and they're crying out, blessed is God in the great sanctuary, the Lord, who is Israel's fountain. Isn't that awesome? Everyone's super excited. David was super excited. You know, there's a famous story about David during this parade, right? In 2 Samuel 6, 12, it says, David went and brought the ark of God to the city of David rejoicing and those who were with him bore the ark and after they gone six steps they sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal and then it says David danced before the Lord with all his might and this is a warrior he's got lots of might so he danced before the Lord with all his might wearing a linen ephod and and David came up to the house um, with shouts it says and with songs um, sounds of a horn and David it says was leaping and dancing before the Lord super excited Finally brings it up and puts it in the temple. And then he goes home and he gets all kinds of grief for it, right? His wife, McCall, you know, thought, well, this is a little too excited. This is a little undignified for the king of a nation like that. She says this. She goes, oh, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself before the eyes of his servants, female servants. Like one of those fellows who shamefully uncovers himself. Gives him all kinds of grief for it. You know what he says back? He says, I will celebrate before the Lord and I will make myself more contemptible to you. He said, you think you've seen a lot of rejoicing? You haven't seen anything yet. I'm about to go back out there and do some more, right? Guys, our God is a great king, and he's returned from battle, and it's time to celebrate. That's what this psalm is about. Um, And and what do we celebrate in this? We celebrate that God rescues the weak. Look at verse 4. Sing to God. Sing praise to his name. Sing a song to him who rides through the desert. I love the desert. I love that verse. Him who rides through the desert. Speaking of their journey, right, from Egypt all the way to the promised land, he rides through the desert. His name is the Lord, exult before him. He is the father of the fatherless, protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in parched land. O God, when you went out before your people, you marched through the wilderness, the earthquake, the heavens poured down rain. Before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel, rain in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. And then speaking of his people, your flocks found a dwelling in it, in your goodness. Like they found a dwelling place in his goodness. Oh God, you provide for the needy. Guys, God rescues the weak. That's what we're here to celebrate this morning. God rescues the weak. The God of the Old Testament, guys, identifies with the weak and the poor, which was unusual in ancient religions. In ancient religions, the deity would often associate with the powerful politically or economically, not with the poor. The God of the Old Testament is unique in that way. He associates with the poor. You can find tons of verses about that, especially this one. God draws near and identifies with the weak. And that's how he wants to be known. You see that in verse 5? He wants to be known as the father of the fatherless, the protector of widows, the one who settles the solitary in a home. Verse 6, the liberator of prisoners. Verse 6, the provider of the needy. God rescues the weak. That's how he wants to be introduced. 
You know, on social media, you can have a little spot where you write something about yourself. You know, like on Instagram, you have your name, and then below that, you write something about yourself. It's amazing how many adventurers and entrepreneurs there are. You know, like, it's like, oh, you, like, I know you, you're not an adventurer. And I know you, you're not much of an entrepreneur, you know, but we put these little things, that's how we want to be known, right? I'm a wanderer, you know, that kind of a thing. <laughs> a traveler, you know, and it's like, I, you haven't traveled anywhere, I know you. If Yahweh had one of those, he would say, the Lord God Almighty, and underneath it would say, Father of the fatherless, protector of widows, settler of the solitary, liberator of prisoners, provider for the needy. That's what he does. And that's legitimate. That's what he does. And that's why I picked this psalm this morning for when Holly's sharing about Girls' House of Refuge, because that's what God's doing there. God is making himself known in Cambodia through his gifted people, through his church, as the father of the fatherless and the protector of widows and the solitary and the liberator of prisoners and the provider for the needy. And so this morning, that's what we celebrate. We celebrate that God rescues the weak. This passage also celebrates the fact that God destroys their enemies. And I think this is a part where we're like, ooh, I don't know. You know, like, but that's not the way. When you take the Psalms, you take all the Psalms, right? And, this, and David writes here about these battles that God won. What's interesting is when he writes about them, the people weren't in the battle. There, there were the people that were fought, and then there's the Lord. It, it's as if they didn't even go to battle. You guys see that? God alone destroyed their enemies. It's as if God's people were too weak to even show up on the battlefield. You know, the battle lines are drawn. All of God's enemies, they look impossible to beat, right? And, and God's people are going to lose for sure. And on the other side, who's there? The Lord's there. The Lord's there to stand and protect him. And God's victory, guys, over their enemies was devastating. You see it here. It says in verse 1, God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered. Literally, it reads, God arises, enemies scatter. I mean, that's just the way it goes. It's like roaches. You turn on the light, I wouldn't know. But you turn on the light and they scatter, right? God arises, his enemies scatter. It says, those who hate him flee before him as smoke is driven away. How is smoke driven away? Like this. You don't even have to touch it. You can drive away smoke. It says they, they, they melt like wax before fire. The wicked shall perish before the Lord. Those enemies that they can never defeat disintegrate before Yahweh like smoke and like wax. They don't stand a chance. Let me ask you guys this this morning. You know, as, as David had talked about, but as you come before worship today or as you think about your week coming up, who is bigger and more real and more powerful in your mind, the Lord or your problems? Right? Who is bigger and more powerful and more real and more solid, the Lord or your problems? Derek Kidner says about this passage about the enemies being like smoke and wax. He says, the enemy is anything but solid, and the invisible God is anything but absent. They're enemies that seem so powerful evaporated before him. And then the people rejoice. Look at verse 3. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy, which I think is totally unnecessary. Like, you know, they shall be joyful. They should be jubilant or joy. You can use both. It's jubilant with joy. They sing to God. They sing praise to his name. Lift up a song for him who rides in the desert. It says exult before him. Guys, this morning we're here to celebrate that God's, God's power to rescue the weak. He can rescue us. Thirdly, we're here to celebrate that God imputes his victory to his people. There's something really cool in verse 11. Check it out. Verse 11, it says, The Lord gives the word, and the women who announce the news are a great host. And this is what they say. They say, The kings of the armies, they flee, they flee. The women at home divide the spoils, though the men lie among the sheepfold. So God alone goes out in battle. The women stayed at home, and it looks like the men are napping. You know, if you look at verse 12, they lie among the sheepfold. They're like kicking it, right? And, and then they get this news through the women that God has defeated their enemy, right? They didn't even go to battle. And when God returns, he gives the victory to them as if it's theirs. 
The, the women announce the good news, and they get to enjoy all the loot, all the spoils that they didn't even fight for. You guys know the saying, to the victor go the spoils, right? Not here. To the weak go the spoils. To the people that stayed at home go the spoils. He gives his victory to his people. These people who stood no chance against their enemies. They might as well stay home. And then Yahweh goes out to battle, and when he returns, he gives them all the benefits. Verse 18 depicts the ark ascending up to the tabernacle, going up to Jerusalem, as God, the victorious king, going up to his throne with the spoils of war behind him. Look at verse 18. It says, You ascend on high, leading a host of captives in your train, receiving gifts from among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. And verse 12 says, this, says that when he goes with all these rewards from battle, that he's showering them to his people, right? He's taking all the loot of war and showering them to his people. Guys, God imputes his enemies to his people. They enjoy what he won. They get what they were too weak to earn. Does that sound like anything you know of? Does that sound familiar? Sounds like the gospel, right? Sounds like the gospel. We get what he won. We get what we were too weak to win for ourselves. His victory imputed to us. It's the gospel. And that's actually what Paul saw. If you turn to Ephesians 4, 7 and 8, you'll see that Paul actually quotes this passage about Jesus. So when he sees this passage about God ascending on high and giving gifts to men, he sees Jesus. He sees this about King Jesus ascending to his throne in triumph after his death and resurrection and showering his people with the rewards of victory. Take a look at it in Ephesians 7 and 8. He's quoting Psalm uh, 68, 18, and he, with a few alterations, which you may notice. He says this, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, and then quoting verse 18, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. He actually changed it a little bit there. Jesus Christ, guys, is the true victorious king. He actually is the true ark, the true presence of God with his people. Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh, the Lord, who won the victory for his people, who were too weak to win it, and then they get all of his rewards. Jesus is that victorious king. Because, guys, we have sinned. This is something that every person at some point in their life needs to come to terms with. Not just that they've done some, they're a pretty good person that occasionally does bad things, but that I'm a bad person. I'm a sinful person. I've been sinful since my birth. I have wandered away from God. I have not just wandered, but I've rebelled against God. And I've put myself in deadly peril. My sin deserves death. My sin deserves eternal punishment. And there's no way for me to fix it. Just like with the Israelites when they come up against these enemies, there's no way to fix it. You can't fix it. There's no way to, to save yourself from death and judgment. The enemy's too strong, right? So Yahweh, the Lord, right, became a man, the historical man, Jesus Christ, a man who lived a life of complete victory on the battlefield of sin and temptation. Remember when he went out in the wilderness in his temptation? He went out in the wilderness for 40 days. He went out there like the Israelites had gone out of the wilderness, but he came out sinless. He, he came out sinless for us. And then, while he was still in his 30s, Jesus scored for us the ultimate victory over sin and death on the cross. The enemies that we could not ever defeat. And just like, you know, it says in this psalm, like, God's people weren't even there. God just went out there. They just stayed at home. You know, Jesus did not call you up and say, hey, could you help me do this atonement thing? Right? Like, you weren't there. You weren't there like those women weren't there. You weren't there. And yet his enemies melted before him. Guys, Jesus defeated sin and death, and then he rose from the dead. And then 40 days later, Paul's saying, that's what verse 18's about. 40 days later, he ascended to his throne in heaven, and he showered his people with all the benefits of his suffering. 
We get the benefits of his victory. That's what Paul's saying in Ephesians. This morning, guys, we celebrate that God imputes, credits his victory to us. And then lastly, God has given us gifts to make him known. If you take a look at Ephesians 4, 7 and 8, he, said, he says something about gifts here. When he talks about Jesus showering his people with something, he talks about it as gifts. Take a look. He says, but grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended, Christ ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. What are these gifts? These gifts, guys, are God empowering his people to make him known. And it's so cool the way it went down. I don't know if you guys have ever put this together, but so Jesus dies on the cross. Three days later, he comes back from the dead. He didn't immediately leave, so he's back physically alive. Spends 40 days showing himself that he's whole and well and that he's raised. I don't know if you know that, but he spent 40 days proving his resurrection. And then at the end of that 40 days, hanging out with his friends, they're talking. They think it's a normal day. And what happens? He goes up. It just says he goes up. He just goes up right before him, just slowly. Not a poof of smoke, not disappearing, but they actually watched him slowly go up into the sky. He ascended. That's 40 days after the resurrection. And he went up. What was he doing? He was taking his rightful place on the throne. And it was kind of a weird event on our side, you know? Just goes up, and they're just like, oh, what's going on? And the angels go like, why are you looking up? It's like, why do you think we're looking up? Like, our best friend just, like, took off. Um, so it's kind of a weird scene on our side, but imagine the scene on the other side as he arrives in the heavenly Jerusalem, as he arrives in heaven, and he's being welcomed by, by all the saints who had gone before, and by all the angelic creatures. I mean, we think of angels just like winged human beings. They're not. There's angelic creatures, a different species, and they're all excited that he's shown up, right? And the Father's welcoming him. There's this huge party in heaven. Make David's thing look real light, you know? This huge procession. As he ascends to his throne. And then 10 days later, guys, the party reverberated on earth. 10 days later, Jesus showered down gifts to his people. And that's Pentecost. 10 days later was Pentecost. And this psalm actually was always used. It was used in the Jewish tradition during Pentecost, strangely. And it was used in the early church as well as a Pentecost psalm. And so the Pentecost was when his Holy Spirit came to dwell in his people in a new way. And his people received gifts. And Pentecost was the victorious ascending Jesus showering down gifts on his people. Showering those gifts down on him. He's still doing it today. Kind of reminds me of the line of the witch in the wardrobe. You guys remember what happened? So when, you know, Aslan beats the witch. But you remember what Father Christmas did? Yes, there's Father Christmas in there. He gave, he gave to the, the children gifts, right? Each of them got a different gift. Um, Peter got a sword and a shield. Uh, Susan got a bow and arrow. Lucy got a healing potion. They were gifts to continue his mission. Isn't that cool? I don't know if C.S. Lewis meant it that way or not. What are these spiritual gifts we have? We've been given them to announce and display the kingdom, to make God known through word and deed. And I just want to say to you guys this morning, God has gifted you to announce his kingdom. God has gifted you to announce the good news of his kingdom. Like the women in verse 11. Take a look at the women in verse 11. They have this, this joy of announcing the victory of God. You have that, guys, of announcing news is the gospel is news, not advice. I think that's really important to realize. Religion is advice. It's like, here's some things you could do to try and work your way to God. Good luck, okay? The gospel is different. The gospel is news, not advice. Just like these women uh, are announcing news. In ancient times, the word gospel, what it meant was good news. And it was either good news of a battle won, or it was good news of a new king ascending. In the gospel, we have both, Right? We have a battle won on the cross and resurrection, and we have a new king ascending. 
The gospel is, is not advice. The gospel assumes the truth that you are weak and can do nothing to save yourself, and you need someone else to save you. That's what the gospel tells us. And the good news is, guys, is that Jesus has done everything necessary to give you forgiveness, adoption by God, and a home with him. And the awesome thing is he beat death. I mean, one day we're going to be raised from the dead. We're going to enjoy him in our physical bodies in a world made new. I just want to ask you this morning, is Jesus your Savior King? Because there's only two kingdoms in this psalm, right? There's the kingdom of God and there's the enemies. You're on one side or the other. Is Jesus Christ your Savior King? The good news is, guys, is that if you're finding yourself today, you're like, actually, no, I don't follow him at all. Because people talk about, well, you know, you could have him as Savior, but not as Lord. No, he's a king. So you either have him as Savior King or you don't have him at all. Like you're in his kingdom or you're not in his kingdom. And so the good news is, is if you this morning have found yourself on the wrong side, you're like, oh, no, I'm on the enemy side. I'm actually living in rebellion to God. The good news is that King Jesus is accepting surrenders today. Like, if you will trust in him and turn from your sin, he'll let you come on over. And his victory will become your victory. And you'll have the joy of verse 3. It says, the righteous shall be glad and exult before God and shall be jubilant with joy. Guys, the good news of the kingdom is you've been gifted to announce that. Do you realize that? I think this is really important for you to, to realize. Like, I have a gifting. I'm using it right now. You all have a gift to announce the good news of the kingdom. You've all been given a gift to do that. Are you using it? Um, you guys have all been given a gift to display the kingdom. Now, for some of you, this might be a new idea, but Jesus is a king. He has a kingdom. When his kingdom comes, he's going to make all things new. There will be a day when there will be none of his people will be fatherless or widows or solitary or prisoner or poor. Now, that day has obviously not come yet, right? But even now, guys, Jesus is using his gifted people to give the world a preview of the kingdom. So that they can see a bit of what it's going to look like when he comes. That's what's happening at Girls House of Refuge. Right? Because when the kingdom comes, guys, there will be no fatherless women being victimized by predatory men. It won't be. And so it, what it will it be like? It'll be like those homes they've set up. Where these women are welcomed in and they're given a family. This psalm says that he sets the solitary in a home. You know, it's a preview of the kingdom of God. Right now, guys, God is being known the way he wants to be known. His father, the fatherless, protector of widows, settler of the solitary. Liberator of prisoners. That fits, doesn't it? And the provider for the needy. Guys, this is an awesome investment. When we do, uh, we'll do offering during, um, during worship after the second song. And I would just encourage you, give to this ministry. It's an awesome investment. I know that when the kingdom comes, we're going to not have been sorry for any dollar we gave. <laughs> we're going to be thinking like, oh, I had such a great investment, you know? You think about some of these stocks of, you know, amazing companies that were real cheap at one time, and you could have got in on it later on. You're like, you know, well, I wish I would have bought Google. Well, yeah, like, that's easy to say, like, right? Investing in the kingdom's like that. On the other side, we're going to be like, oh, man, that was a good deal. I should have got more of that, <laughs> right? Okay, where else are we seeing it? Another place we're seeing it, strangely, is at Sun City Gardens. You know, we go from Cambodia to there's a retirement home here, a, a senior's place that, uh, that we go to. And many of you guys have gone to this ministry before. But I went, I found out Elisa was still going. And I went this last Wednesday with Ellie and Elisa, and she brought her son. What an awesome opportunity that is, guys, to announce the good news about Jesus and display the kingdom. Talk about widow, talk about solitary, talk about needy, it's all there, right? 
And what was really cool is, so I thought like we were all, I thought we were God acting there. Like I thought we were bringing the kingdom there, like that it was us, right? And the last time I was there, we were talking to Frank, who's 99 years old, shot down in World War II over the Mediterranean. You will find that out when you see him. And, uh, and it is, it's amazing, his story. And the guy has such a rich contentment in the Lord. He's recently lost his vision completely. He can't complain, he says. You know, it's just amazing. And the way he serves there. And he was telling me that there's actually a group of believers there. And they eat dinner together. And they pray for each other. And they serve each other. And he was like, you know, take for example, he goes, Marianne, she, she broke her shoulder. She fell, she broke her shoulder. And um, they wear bibs when they eat dinner. Like, we all will too, by the way. Um, so they wear bibs when they eat dinner. And, and she can't put on herself because she has a broken shoulder. And Frank was like, so I put it on for her. And then I'm like, well, he's blind. So I assume there's like another person involved, you know, <laughs> to tell him, no, up, lower, you know. Um, but the point is, guys, is that there's this rich Christian community, guys. There's a pocket of the kingdom of God there. The point is, is that God even there is settling the solitary in a home. Frank kept saying, like, we're family. We're family. And so here I have this idea, because the way we visit them, you know, they're all in their rooms, that they were all these solitary people alone, and they're not. Like, the Lord is, is, is gathering the solitary in a home. There's family there. He's at work there. That's not us. That's the Lord doing that. It's so awesome. You should go. You should come, see it, um, uh, encourage it. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pocket of the kingdom. And guys, I know we could do so much more as a church in this way and displaying the kingdom and using the gifts we have. Uh, I know you guys all want to do it. And the cool thing is, is there's a team of leaders that God has called to mobilize his people to do this. It's called deacons. So the deacons are called to be uh, ministries, uh, ministers of mercy that would mobilize us for this kind of thing. And that's what we're really lacking. You've got a bunch of people that want to do it, a bunch of people that are gifted. You need somebody to go like, we're going here. <laughs> like, come at five, you know, or whatever. That's what we need. And so, um, good news is I'm meeting this week with some guys uh, and, a, and a lady that are um, probably going to be our future deacons, and we're going to talk over that ministry, and uh, we'll hope to announce that soon, so that'll be really cool. There's, um, there's two leader teams in the church. There's elders and pastors, like what I do. I'm an elder slash pastor. It's one thing. Um, and what we do is we minister the word, so we announce the gospel, and we help you apply the gospel. Um, in a couple more weeks, I'm going to announce a couple others that are going to join me. So you're going to have more than just one elder pastor in just a few weeks, which will be awesome. And there'll be more to come. We have many uh, here who can do that. And then there's the other team, which is deacons. And they're, so the ministry of word, ministry of mercy. And what the deacons do is they focus on um, displaying the kingdom of God through a ministry of mercy, just like mentioned in the song. So that God would be known in this area and around the world as a father of the fatherless right? The way he should be known, right? Uh, the, the protector of widows, the, the, that we would serve those people in a way that supports the spread of the gospel. It's, so it's word and deed. And um, it's going to be great. In the very near future, we, we'll have that uh, set up for you. I want to leave you with one last idea, which is this. You have been gifted, okay? Like when, the, when Jesus died and was raised from the dead, ascended, he threw gifts down to you. And if you're a believer, you received some of them. And you might be like, I don't know if I got one. You did, <laughs> okay? You did. You probably got multiple of them if you're a believer. Um, and so I, that gift is meant for you to help announce the good news and display the kingdom with this local church. And, and I just want to ask you, are you using them? It might be a gift of hospitality. I was listening to a podcast this week just talking about like, loneliness is a huge issue. You know, there's people in this church that have been a part of this church for a long time and still feel lonely. That ought not to be, right? He sets the solitary in a home. 
Some of you guys have the gift of hospitality. You don't really need a deacon to tell you how to do that. You invite people over. You have them over. Maybe you have a gift of mercy or compassion or service or generosity. Are you using it? One test you could do is you could say, look at your immediate environment and say, how would these people's lives be different if the kingdom of God came fully today? And then that's the thing you should use your gift to do. Does that help? You think about your street, you think about your neighbors, you think about the people in this room, you think about your neighborhood, and you think, if the kingdom of God came fully today, how would it be different? And that's what God wants to use your gifts to do, to display the kingdom. And if we do that, we're going to have countless opportunities to tell them about the good news of the kingdom, the good news of King Jesus and how he's, he's, he's died and been raised for us. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.